Hello, everyone, and welcome back for another episode of the Outdoor Adventure Series podcast. This is your host, Howard Fox. The Outdoor Adventure Series celebrates individuals and families, businesses, and organizations that seek out and promote the exploration, stewardship, conservation, and access and enjoyment of the outdoors. David McElvaney is our guest today on the Outdoor Adventure Series. David is a New York-based outdoor enthusiast and essayist. He has worked with outdoor brands to communicate with their customers. He has a, a, a huge library of, of essays he has written on fly fishing, uh, hunting, general outdoor skills. I know David from uh, because we are also uh, members of the Outdoor Writers Association of America. And David is also uh, a board member of the New York City chapter of Trout Unlimited. David, it is so good to see you again. How are you doing? I'm very well, Howard. How are you, man? I, I am doing very good. Now, I am a little envious because my background is kind of <laughs> fake, though my logo is a real logo. But you, you have a, you're in a nice setting right now. It looks real. Yeah, it is real. I am in, uh, I'm in Mexico. I'm in a city called Merida, uh, which is in the Yucatan Peninsula, where I have a, another home. So I split my time between my upstate camp in the Catskill Mountains of New York and uh, Merida here. So I got down here, I guess about a month ago or so, and I'll probably stay, it's open-ended, but I'll probably stay till April, May. Okay, now is is this a, like a permanent half the time up in uh, the Catskills, half the time in Mexico? What are your, what, I love that, I, I love that lifestyle by the way. Yeah, it's, it's uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate. Right now, for the past few years, it's been kind of 50-50. I find that things may be shifting a little bit, mm -hmm. and I may spend a little more time down here in Mexico uh, versus New York. As I also travel a lot. I, I yeah. travel around fishing and, and having, doing various outdoor things. But this is a pretty nice space. I have to, I have to be honest. The, my house is a little nicer than my cabin in the Catskills, and I've got a lot of friends here, and I kind of like the quality of life. Um, it's social if you want it. There's enough outdoor activities to keep me very busy. Um, as, and I guess we'll discuss today. Um, I do a lot of fishing down here. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I, I am curious, uh, with the fishing, that means you are outdoors and you're, ha you're learning, you're having fun, you're getting educated, you're getting introduced to experiences. And I know we had discussed earlier about how do you take notes when you're in an interview and you said, well, Howard, I've got a great memory. I don't need a book and something that is what it is. And I, I respect that. <laughs> yeah. But for yeah. me, I, I have the podcast and I require an internet connection or so of some sort. What's it like to be kind of a nomad living in another country when perhaps you do need to be connected? Yeah. It, well, it's interesting. Um, First of all, Howard, I don't think I said I have a very good memory. I think I said I, I, I have a I have a memory, and I'm probably far too lazy to take notes. So, any I tend to write in my head uh, more than I write on paper. I will I will mull something over for a good month before I commit anything to paper. I'm retelling the story again and again and again, but kind of get it into a decent enough semblance of words. Mm -hmm. So that's that's just simply my process. So whether I'm, whether I'm connected or not, it really, it really doesn't matter. In fact, I just, when I, when I arrived in Mexico, I guess about a month ago, 
I immediately took off to the other side of the country to Baja because mm -hmm. I was invited to partake in an adventure cruise mm -hmm. that does the Sea of Cortez or Gulf of California. Mm -hmm. And that was very cool. I'd never been out there. I'd never been mm -hmm. on a cruise before. There's a very small cruise line. And it was great. It was an incredible experience. And we were completely cut off. There was no internet service whatsoever. None. Okay. None. So that meant you, you, well, you had activities, but you, you talked to people and you hung out okay. with people. And every night, interesting enough, we would go into the lounge and there was a, probably by the end of it, a group of 10, we would play, um, games, okay. card games or nothing traditional games I'd never seen, but they were a lot of fun. So we just sit, drink, talk play games. It was, it was very quaint and kind of old fashioned, but it was perfect versus everybody on their phones or in their checking emails. This, uh, this trip and down into the Gulf, California, Baja, when you were, there you go, there's my residual cough. Let me start again. Three, two, one. So David, I I'm curious when you were on this, this, this trip, uh, to the Gulf of California and the Baja Peninsula. And, and I say that, by the way, to demonstrate to my listeners that I am geographically intelligent. I know where that was. Uh, but what was the, uh, well, given your, the type of work that you do, and I know a lot of it has to do with, with fishing and, and the, the writing, the essayist part of it. How did you spend your day? And as like you get up in the morning, and then you spend the, the evening playing, playing games. What was, what was it right. like in the middle? What was a typical day like? Um, I, I tend to get up very early. So I was always up well before sunrise. I was on a deck probably at anywhere from 5.30 onwards. One of the reasons I did that, because the sunrises were spectacular here. Mm. I've never seen anything like that. So that was kind of cool. And I just naturally get up early. The days on this, uh, the itinerary is basically divided into a morning and afternoon activity. Mm. So at any, after breakfast, we would decide what you want to do. There could be three or four activities within the morning with varying, varying degrees of, of difficulty, I guess. Mm. And then we would hop into pontoon boats off the back of the off the mm -hmm. back of the, uh, of the cruise boat, we would, the cruise boat would anchor off a shore of a deserted little island. We'd hop in these pontoon skiffs, mm -hmm. head into shore, get as far in as we could, but typically we had to jump out into the water and get in. And then you had your, your day, whatever that was, whether you were, whether you were snorkeling, whether you were hiking up an arroyo, trying to get to a cliff or something like that, just doing a little exploring on your own, sea kayaking, all kinds of stuff. And then back to the boat for lunch and then an afternoon trip and then back for a cocktail hour and then dinner. So you were pretty, you were pretty bagged by the end of the day. I can imagine it. It's, it's a, uh, it's a full week if I recall. And it's, it's a, it is a full week. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you, what are, how did it feel like to be disconnected for so long? It felt great. Yeah. Yeah. It, it honestly felt great. A lot of, a lot of stress and pressure and bullshit just kind of went away. I found myself smiling more and more as the week okay. went by. In fact, I did a, I did a little series of selfies and the first ones I were like, mm, okay, I'm not sure about this cruise. What's going on? The last one, I was just like, here I am, super smiling. It was, it was, it was kind of cool. Yeah, it was great. It was a great experience. And one of the things that I found, I, I've never been on a cruise before. So I was kind of more, I didn't know what to expect. I was a little 
concern about, oh my God, I'm going to be trapped with 50 people and mm-hmm. all this stuff. But because I wanted to, I wanted to write about it. I sat down with everybody mm-hmm. over the course of that week um, and just talked. And the stories were extraordinary. These, I mean, people sometimes were in their late seventies. They've traveled the world. They've done everything. I'm just, I just pulled up a chair and just sat and just started listening to these these people talk about their lives and their and their adventure lives, and that was that was pretty cool. I, we were so like minded that it very quickly became a cruise of friends, and and okay. that was, that was great. Yeah, I love that. Now, would you be inclined to have this kind of adventure again? Somewhere else, I would. If uh, if the if Dan Blanchard, the CEO, is listening to this, yeah, I'd love to go to Alaska with these guys because because that's I think that's kind of their sweet spot. They are they're consistently voted the best cruise small cruise line or adventure cruise line in Alaska. Uh, I would like to see. I've never seen an orca. Okay. I think I've seen most every other type of whale, and not a blue whale. I would like to see an orca in the wild. Okay. So, did you see yeah. whales down in uh, the Gulf? We did. We did. They're, they typically do come into the Gulf on this trip, either weather or time of season. We did see any. So at one point midweek, we pulled into the only sort of port we could get to. And then we, uh, and then we hopped on buses and we shuttled across Baja mm. to the others, to the Pacific side. And there's a series of protective, I guess, kind of coves there. And, um, and there were gray whales. So we, then we hopped into their pontoon skiffs, went out very, very choppy water, but the gray whales came out to play. Yeah. The, the gray whales doing this particularly cool thing called, um, spy hopping where yeah. they will, they will sort of surface a little bit. They see it and just look at you, put their heads and want to see what you're about and then drop back down. That was kind of cool. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've now were you on the ship or on like a skiff? Oh, we're on you're... skiffs. We're on pontoon skiffs. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. No, so actually, here, here we are on Pangas, but you know, the, the fiberglass boat of, of Mexico, okay. but yeah. Yeah. Okay. But you're pretty close. You're all, you're at the water level here. You're not like got back on the cruise ship. So. Oh no, no. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're, I mean, if you, if you get it right, you're a meter away from a whale. Yeah. I, if everything I works that. out for you. Yeah. No, I know it's very that. cool. See, yeah. I, in my years of living, I have never seen a whale outside of the beluga <laughs> whales in Shedd Aquarium in Chicago. So. I'm really? kind of excited it's someday to be able to see a whale. So it's, uh, oh yeah. yeah. All right. Whales are, that, whales are cool. Yeah. Yeah. That and the Northern lights are like my bucket list item. So I'll be 50% complete if I see a whale someday. So, okay. Well, I'm from Canada. So it's, uh, I've, I've seen them many times. Just, just book that trip out or get, get super North, not Canada, but just go to Iceland or go to Norway or something at the right time of year and get yourself a chair and a blanket and something to drink and lay yes. back and just look at the most spectacular thing you've ever seen in your life. And that's exactly what I want to do. And, and, and I should add, being here in, in Nevada, access to Death Valley, Mojave right. National Preserve. The first time I actually went out to the desert and I didn't bring my camera with me. It was a part of a meetup group. I just wanted to meet the people, but I remember just sitting down in my chair and as it the sky darkened and the stars came out. It was like the most wonderful experience. So add that to the Northern lights, perhaps to seeing a whale, I think. And maybe a whale. There you go. Life will be pretty good there. I love that. Absolutely. So let's go back to, to Mexico. 
you, you're, you've made a decision. I'm sure a lot of thought went into why this particular area of the Yucatan or, and so mm -hmm. I'm making that assumption, I guess, but why the Yucatan and why is this, was this area a specialty? Um, it's, uh, the, the Yucatan is very safe. I mean, that's obviously a concern. Sometimes we're in Mexico, it's Merida is an old colonial town. At one time, it was one of the wealthiest cities in the Western world because all rope, most rope, used to come from the Yucatan. Mm -hmm. It was basically, there's a, there's a cactus called Hennekin. It's mm -hmm. cactus-like plant called Hennekin that they would process and turn into rope. And there's a little sea town not far from Merida. Merida is about 45 minutes inland. Little sea town. There was a shipping port called Cizal. So all this rope was... Um, stamp Cizel or what we now know as Sizel. Yes. Right? Okay. Yeah. And it went and it went all over the world. It was so wealthy that you know there's a there's a main um, thoroughfare here called Paseo Monteo, and it looks like the Champs-Élysées. I mean, it's just it's mansion after mansion after mansion. I'm absolutely sure some of these places were purchased in France, dismantled, brought here, and, and rebuilt. And then someone invented nylon. And the throat market just, just fell. And the wow. city went into a, many, many years of depression. And a lot of these old, beautiful colonial homes fell into to disrepair so much so that, you know, once a roof falls in, you're in this climate, jungle just starts right. going through everywhere. Um, however, some people came in and they saw the potential and they started buying them up and getting rid of the jungle and rebuilding them. And now it's a lovely little town. We have a couple of little houses that we are renovating and fixing up. So, yeah, it's a nice, uh, it's a nice life and it's a nice, um, all the, sorry, it's a nice difference from the New York, mm -hmm. uh, experience where I am, I am deep in the woods in a cabin, uh, but there's a number of cabins on a property, but you know, it's, I, I can be, it's, I can be social if I want to, but it's very isolating here. I'm in a, I'm in a city mm -hmm. and, uh, I'm surrounded by lots of friends, lots of like-minded people. So it's just a kind of a cool quality of life, I guess. Okay. Yeah. And when you made this decision to go into this area of the country, how did you then begin to explore the opportunities for your, your fishing adventures? Yeah. Um, I, my wife and I have been coming down to Merida for, for a while. So we, we knew it a bit and a few years years earlier, uh, we were down on the, on the, um, Caribbean sides. So we're down in Tulum mm -hmm. and I booked a day to go fishing with somebody down there. So mm -hmm. on that side from Cancun, all the way down to the very, to Ishkalak, the very bottom of Mexico, uh, is, is a world-class saltwater fishery, but you're fishing for bonefish, tarpon, permit, um, otherwise known as the Grand Slam. Mm -hmm. Um, and there are all kinds of lodges, a few independent mm -hmm. guides that take people out there. So I did that and I caught my first bonefish and that was kind of cool. I was a little hesitant because I'm a, I'm a cold water guy. I'm a trout and salmon guy. Mm -hmm. To me, these, these animals are, these fish are found in the most beautiful parts of the world. It's, there's something about a mountain stream for me that just resonates. Mm -hmm. I didn't get saltwater fishing. I didn't understand wrapping myself up like I'm a bank robber to protect from the sun and, you know, right. and these long casts with these really ugly looking flies and all that stuff. So I, I went in a little hesitant, but then you catch your first bonefish 
and it takes you into the backing and it's just whizzing all over the place. And you realize, I'm I'm in shorts, I've got a beer, it's 80 degrees out. This maybe isn't so bad. So, so um, yeah, not so bad. However, I met a guy down there who, and I mentioned I was at Samaritan and he said, well, if you ever, ever go there, there's a, there's a guide I know up in a tiny little fishing town. His name is Ismael Navarro. And I thought he's a great guy. I fished with him and I just thought he's an amazing guy, but nobody knows about him. He's, he has no social media presence. He doesn't advertise in any way. Nobody knows he's there, but if you can find him, go fish with him. So that began about an eight month long search when I was here um, a little more regularly to find Ismail. He he, he was my white whale. And uh, I finally met somebody who maybe had his number kind of thing. And I I WhatsApped him and he responded right away. And he said, yeah, come on up anytime you want to fish. So I did. And I met him at a little, a little bar and he just was the coolest guy ever. He sees He's quarter Mayan, I think. He stands maybe five foot. He's probably mid-40s, I guess. But we just got along well. There's, I fish with guides all over the world. Occasionally, you just connect with a guide. Mm-hmm. There's a fellow in Sweden that I fish with that we're just, we just love to fish together. Mm-hmm. A few others around. Ismail was one of those guys. So we went out and we just had a blast fishing in his boat when you're we're fishing for baby tarpon, mm-hmm. baby tarpon and juvenile tarpon. So we're in the mangroves essentially, or kind of flats created by mangroves. And it's a perfect uh, tarpon nursery uh, among, among a thousand other things. So we will go out, um, tarpon fishing in this situation is typically pre-dawn mm-hmm. and you're going out as the sun rises and you're looking for what's known as rolling tarpon. Mm-hmm. Tarpon are one of the very few fish that um, not only can they also breathe oxygen, uh, sorry, air as opposed to dissolved oxygen in the water, they need to breathe air. Mm. So they need to surface every once in a while and they're sort of taking gulps of air. This is known as a, a roll of tarpon or rolling tarpon. So you look for that disturbances on the water and then we would get in reasonably close and pull the rest away in. And then you throw out, you throw out a fly, whatever it is, 30, 40, 50 feet. And you can just see the tarpon turn and bam. And they take air like very fish do, salmon, salmon do, steelhead do. Tarpon, tarpon takes air and they, they dance on their tails. They're known as a silver king because they're all silver. It's a beautiful fish. And you're in for a very, very fun time. And we would on a, yeah, on a good day, we would, we could easily catch uh, 30, 40 baby tarpon on a really good day. It was a lot of fun with a big siesta in the middle. So typically it's a very early morning and then, and then sunset kind of thing. Okay. So I am curious, uh, the equipment and for you to get ready to be on this excursion and did you have your poles, your, your, your reels or tackle with you? Did you have to get it from your guide? Did you buy it at the local store? So no, no to the local store. No to getting it from the guide, though he does have a few flies. Uh, you're okay. bringing everything in. Okay. So Ismail is an independent guide. There are, um, if you look at the, the, the northern, northern western part of the Yucatan, there's um, um, a UNESCO heritage city called Campeche, which is a beautiful mm-hmm. city. 
mm-hmm. uh, which is at the bottom. At the very top, there's a little island called Isla Holbosch. Mm-hmm. Campeche and Isla Holbosch have um, world-class outfitters that take people okay. out for tarpon. So when I came down here, I was invited to go fish with the guys down in Campeche. We did. We had a wonderful time. I wrote about it in that essay. Um, but uh, but I, I want to beat Ismail. They they can, if you want, outfit you. They have rods, they have reels, they have flies, et cetera, et cetera, if you want that experience. A guy like Ismail, appreciate he's he's at the end of a very long single track road, very dusty. So they're a little isolated up there. It's a fit. He just doesn't have access to the gear and equipment or the fly tying material and stuff like that that we would have. Mm-hmm. So typically when I come down, I usually have some extra stuff. Um, that I'll bring him if it's the end of the season and I'm fishing with him near the end, I will leave him all my flies, stuff like that. Just so, just so he's got a little backup. Um, yeah, that, that kind of stuff. I mean, I've got, I've got plenty of rods. I'll leave him a rod once in a while, whatever that is, whatever he needs. These guys, these guys operate a little differently. Now they're much less expensive than the big operations, obviously. It's a kind of a semi do it yourself situation, but that's, that's totally cool with me. Sure. And in fact, so, I prefer it. Okay. So I'm curious, what is unique about, say, the the specific equipment, like so the rod, the reel, and, uh-huh. and the type of fly? Because when we're on social media, Facebook, the OWA's website, there's a lot of experienced anglers out there. And there's a couple like Drew Youngdike likes his hobby is t- repairing rods and tying flies. Right. What, what, unique about that equipment uh when it comes to say going out there and catching the 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 juvenile tarpon sure yeah i don't know if it's particularly unique other than you are um well obviously obviously you need a good you need a good reel that's that's suited for salt water because salt water is terribly corrosive so it's kind of sealed drag whereas my trout reels they don't easy enough it really comes down to rod size i think so for juvenile tarpon, you're probably looking at an eight-weight rod, which is, mm-hmm. which is in the mid-range of rods as fly rods go. I've got rods that are two weights, and I've got rods up to 12 weights. So an mm-hmm. eight is a, it's a rod with a little bit of spine to it that is going to allow you, it's not so much to, to fight the fish, though that's certainly part of it. It's going to allow you, it's going to allow you a little more power to punch into a wind. You're always dealing with wind when you're on mm-hmm. flats anywhere. Mm-hmm. So your your guide is going to pull you around so the wind essentially is in your back. So your right. back cast is going to be a little weak, but your forward cast, the wind's going to take it and you know get you where you need to go. Okay. So you would you would typically bring an eight weight, you could bring a nine. If you want to go for adult tarpon, now they they're uh, there you're out in the ocean a little more and they are enormous fish. You're probably looking at minimum 10, 10 to twelve weight. Okay. But a twelve weight is a heavy rod to throw around all day. I mean, it's your shoulder. It's going to be sore, but okay. yeah, other than that, the flies, the flies are, you, I should have brought some, I didn't think of that. The flies are unique to, no, oh, actually they're not that unique. They just, they look like bait fish. And I okay. think that's pretty much what you're doing. Yeah. Not so much shrimp and crabs, though tarpon will take them. I mean, they tend to be op- opportunistic. They're going to take whatever you throw at them, but for the most right. part, you're looking at bait fish usually around this size or this size kind of thing. Does color matter? Sure. I guess it does. Does action matter? Yeah, I guess so. Tarpon are very aggressive fish. 
Okay. They're gonna they're gonna chase just about anything. So that's that's good to know. That's good to know. Yeah. I'm curious, you just mentioned about the, the tarpon that are near the ocean that, that being huge. Yeah. So in what's the ocean the, adults. What's the size range from an adult to the ones you were uh in the mangroves with? So I, I, I should forgive me, I should have these weights more accurate, but you know, a baby sorry, sorry, I'm thinking <laughs> of my hands here. I mean, a baby, a baby tarpon is anywhere from, I'll do this in a period, um, anywhere from a foot to, to two feet and however many pounds it is. I don't know. A juvenile tarpon increasing a little more up to say three feet or so to, yeah, about three feet or so, I guess. Adult tarpon are enormous. They're, they can be six feet kind of thing. They're very, very, they're very big fish. I, sorry, I should. I'll send you some notes and you can put that in the show notes. I don't know what the hell I'm talking that's, about. That's it. okay. This, this is, you know what I do what, want, David? I want, yeah. I want photos. I want photo evidence so uh, I can okay. put it in the show right. notes. I know you've got there that. You go. Okay. So yeah, yeah. I, got a little I'm bird. thinking you had a, if you're out in the ocean or near the ocean, you're in for a workout and pr- you know, probably in the morning and again in the evening, but you're going to be mm. sore. I know I would after a day, but. You know, with the juvenile fish, the, the little babies, it, it, it's, mm-hmm. you, I think you had shared earlier, you, kind of this constant catch and release because they're there. They're just, they're attracted yeah. to the, what you're, the, what you're putting in the water. They are, but it's, it's like a lot of, like a lot of fishing. If I, if I looked at the equivalent of, of trout fishing, everything is dead quiet. And all of a sudden a particular insect starts hatching and all the trout go crazy and they're terribly focused. And the okay. whole thing can be over in 15 minutes or 30 minutes, whatever it is. Tarpon are sort of similar that way. You'll see them, you'll get in, you'll catch a few, and then just something will shift. They'll all drop down, they'll go someplace else. So a lot of your time is spent looking for fish. And we would, you would split up your time in two ways. You would go onto the flats, and the flats aren't sandy. It's sort of like seagrass. I don't know how deep it is. Maybe it's like a meter or so deep. And that's where you find a big groups of tarpon. But if nothing was going on there, we would then push into the mangroves. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how these guys found us around because we're just like, we are, we are literally flat on the panga, pulling ourselves through mangroves. And they're, they're following some kind, of, some kind of river or trail, I don't know, to come into little openings where there will be a tarpon or two. And you would hop out in the boat and set yourself up and fish with those. That was sort of cool. We had yeah. this one thing where I was in the front of the boat just guiding through the mangroves, all of a sudden, I just heard this enormous crash. And, I, and I'm thinking, Jaguar. I'm thinking, Ismael's <laughs> dead now. So I spin around, and there's a tarpon in his lap, just smoking the shit out of him that leapt into the boat, and he's trying to push it over. And he finally does. And all of a sudden, for three, four minutes, tarpon started hitting the boat. I think maybe one more came in, but they just started slamming the side of the boat. It, I'd never experienced that before. That was that was kind of cool. So, um, the revenge of the tarpon or something like that. I guess I, I love that. Now, I, I guess I have to ask when I, I was going through your your link tree and I and I saw the this article, uh, real lagartos, tarpon, prayer and scars in the mangroves of the Yucatan. I, I'm thinking this is where that story came about. This is yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It is worth okay. that story. Kind of book. Yeah, that was my first time up there. So Ismael is located in a, in a small city called Real Real Lagartos. 
which is a little fishing port from where I am, probably two and a half to three hours away. There's two, there's two sort of prime areas up there in the middle between Campeche and Holbosch. And, and one is Lagartos and a neighboring town called San Felipe. And there, there are enough experienced guides there that you can go up and work, work out a deal with somebody and they'll definitely put you on fish. There are lots of other little towns and varying degrees of success there. You can hire someone to take you out, but they may not know what they're doing. They may not be tarpon guides, so to speak. They're just going to take you out and you're going to direct them all day. So it depends okay. on the experience you want, I guess. Sure. Yeah, sorry, I lost my train of thought. What else was, there was another question in there. Well, it was just, it was the experience of right. uh, in the mangroves. And again, I, I'm actually very interested in prayer and scars. Is this... Uh, um, ah, okay. Prayer were you on scars, the receiving? Yeah. Were you were you delivering the prayer and on the receiving end of the scars? Yeah, I think I, I think I I I, I, def, I definitely was. Um, I, I bring up prayer because at one point we're we're out we're looking we're looking for fish. Ismail is he's, he's up on the bow and he's just scanning the horizon, and I'm in the back with the with the motorman, um, Carlos, and all of a sudden I could just hear. Ismail speaking a little bit and I realize he's praying uh, and he's asking, he's asking whoever God, the Virgin Mary, whoever was praying for the saint the anglers. I should know that the river gods. Yes. The river gods to find us fish okay. to find us some Sabalo is how you say it in Spanish. And I thought, oh man, that was kind of cool. Cause I've never heard anybody pray in a trout, uh, a drift boat, but out here it sort of, it, it made a difference. And I say scars because when I was fishing with um, Alex down the Campeche Tarpon, we had gone out and um, we, were, we were into mangroves as well. I caught a few fish and we were just sitting there taking a break. And he said, I think this is the spot where the, where the crocodile got me. So he shows me his foot and there's this big bite on his foot. And he says, yeah, one of my clients, one of my clients fly got stuck on a mangrove root. So I said, screw it. I jumped over the side to go in and all of a sudden something grabbed my had my foot and started twisting and he got up, but then he turned to his guide, um, Pajugo, and he said, Pajugo, show him, show him your scar. So he takes off his shirt and he's got this huge scar up here. Apparently a crocodile had come into Campeche into town and worked his way up to the sewers and some kids maybe got hurt or were screwing with it or whatever. So a bunch of men went in to get rid of it and Pajugo got grabbed by this, uh -huh. by this rather large crocodile. So you okay. know, everything's, everything's trying to kill you down here. Well, yeah, I, I can imagine. So when you are in this, this area, you're up in the Rio Lagartos, forest, birds, insects, sounds, what's it like just it's to kind of be so immersed in that? It's incredible. This is a, this is a protected biosphere because they recognize the, um, the, the value of, of having this, the importance of the mangroves to not only the avian life, but also the, uh, the sea life. You will see birds like, yeah, you've never seen anywhere else before. In fact, interestingly enough, um, for a couple of years, there was an ornithologist from Cornell that used mm -hmm. to come down and he met Ismail and Ismail became his, his, his basically his guide, his day-to-day oh. -day guide and friend. And they would go around documenting, documenting birds. So Is knows um, birds like nobody's business. So if we, if there's no fish on, it's like, let's go, let's go find some crazy, 
some crazy bird. And sure enough, he would get us a place to see it. So that was, that was kind of cool. And he also, he runs birding trips as well. There are people okay. who use them just for that, you know? Oh, very cool. Yeah. No, the, and the jungles, the jungles, are the jungles up there. It's really, it's kind of a interesting, fascinating, at times sort of spooky place. There was a huge Mayan population here. So the entire Yucatan is just filled with old ruins that kind of immediately put you back to that, that, that time period, that, that way of living. And I think the mangroves do the same thing to be in those, in those jungles. It's, it's very primitive. It's one thing I, I think I kind of responded to because I, I do like the deep woods. I do like that idea of getting up connected with nature in that way. This was a unique bit of nature. I really didn't know that well. And I'm so grateful I had the opportunity to, to spend time there and go back as, as often as I can. Okay. So I am curious after a number of full days out in the water, uh, getting your fill of tarpon and, uh, just, just being in nature, mm -hmm. how do you take a deep breath and that aha moment, like, oh, this was great. And how do you unwind? And you and I've had this conversation. I think you're hoarding a very old bottle of scotch or whiskey or some sort. And we, yeah. we, we talked about doing a, a multi-part podcast episode where yeah. each glass is going to be a separate topic, but how do you unwind <laughs> after having a day like that? And just thinking about the adventure and the experience you had, what's your way to unwind? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because I don't, I wouldn't use the expression unwind. Like there, there's no need to unwind. Okay. My entire day has been tranquil okay. and calm and peaceful. Okay. And that's something that, that Ishmael often talk about when I first started fishing with them, he would say, you're Russian, but you're Russian, you cast like, slow down and beagle, tranquilo, just like, let's just take it easy, man. And it. It took me a while to kind of get into that rhythm. So now our, our days together are just, yeah, we go out, we catch some fish, but really honestly, Howard, what we, what we mostly do is just hang out and shoot the shit. And every okay. once in a while there's fish caught and okay. it's, it's the best day ever. I come all, I come back with a smile on my face and I go have a little dinner at a restaurant and just get back and go to bed. And it's, it's, it's the most wonderful total experience of that. I don't, I don't often get to relax in life. I'm not often drink, drink in life, but I am when I fish okay. for tarpon and I am when I fish with my friend. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. love that. Yeah. However, however, if I need to, uh, yes, back to your point, if I need to unwind, certainly a glass, of, a, re a really good glass of whiskey is, is, is definitely going to help me. Um, that and the sunset and I'm probably pretty good. I, I, on that note, I, I think, uh, and with the spirit of your friend, uh, Ismail, I, I think that uh, on that note, I think we've done a good job with this, with this particular episode, because cool. you're making me a little envious because I sit at my computer to coaching clients, which I love doing. Mm -hmm. I love the podcasting. I love the, uh, hearing about the stories and I'm thinking, God, I want to experience that. God, I want right. to experience that. And, but, uh, I, yeah. I appreciate you taking the time, uh, in paradise uh, to, to kind of take a, a, yeah. a little step back and, and share this uh, journey with us. Thank you, Howard. I, I, I am fortunate without a doubt. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that every day that I get to lead the life I do and experience these kind of things. If anyone listening wants any information on Ismael, 
please, you'll put in the show notes how to contact me. Of course. Um, I'm also happy. I'm also happy to send you his direct contact number if you want. If you can put that up, that'd be super cool. We'll do. Um, I want to. I'm going to talk about one thing for a moment, and I think this this ties in directly with the with the the sort of the contentment. I guess. Yeah. I, I think Ismail is a great guy, and originally I was when I first got with him. I'm like, oh, buddy, you need an Instagram account, a little more social media presence. You need to advertise, whatever. Everybody, everybody's going to want to fish with you, et cetera, et cetera. And he would look at me and goes, yeah, that, that sounds interesting. And, and this is a weird, this is a weird thing I have, but I'm, I'm hoping I redeem myself at the end of this. And at first I thought, okay, well, he's not, he's not terribly ambitious maybe. And that's, that's fine. It's, it's his life, his choice. But then after a couple of times, I realized it's like, no, I was 100% wrong on this. Mm-hmm. He's just content. Mm-hmm. He has this great life mm-hmm. where he fishes with clients that he likes once in a while. He makes enough money to lead the life he does. He's got family and his son is now working with him. He's in the most beautiful spot. And I think in the world, um, and he is just so at peace and content that I, I learned so much from him, from that. I try to bring that back into my life. So that's why I say, I don't have to unwind because when we meet each other in a war break, we're already content and we know we're going to have a great day. I love that. And I, I really am grateful that you shared that story. And for our listeners, this is not a setup of any sort, but David, there is a story somewhere in the coaching analogies, metaphor realm. I can never get metaphor and analogy correct, but, but essentially it's that story you just shared is this individual, he is content going out fishing. Everybody wants to let Hey, you can make more money. You can buy a bigger boat. You can have right. this. You can have that. It's just, yes, I can, but then I'm not going to be happy. I'm not going to be content. And I think that's the that's the other key word. Tranquilo, slow mm-hmm. down, be in the moment, but contentment. I think is is a, is a is an incredibly important word. I love that. I, I'll be honest with you, Howard, on a, on a personal note. It's taken me a long time to get here. Living in New York City for 25 years and having the life I, I have had, and it's been extraordinary, but I'm finally at a point where everything is coming together a little bit to give me a, a sense of peace and calm and contentment. And I find that I'm able to experience things in a different way, get things done in a different way, connect with people in a different way. This, this random guy in, in, in this little fishing village in Mexico contributed to that. You really got me thinking about that a little bit. And I said, well, take it, apply to other parts of my life. So, yeah, again, very grateful. I love it. I love it. Listen, in the spirit of tranquilo and contentment and being (laughs) grateful, I'm not even going to ask you how listeners can learn more about you and your work. I'm just going to share if you want to get a hold of David, if you want, if you're interested in tarpon fishing and meeting Ismail and hopefully going out with him to fish or birding. We're going to have all that information in the show notes and you get to read the story about prayers and scars and the mangroves of the Yucatan. We'll have all those links because I I think it's important to leave this episode on a note of contentment because I think it's, it's really apparent to me right now in this moment, David, you're sharing, but you're content. And I think that's an important, uh, feature we want to share with our listeners. So all I can really say is thank you for joining us on the Outdoor Adventure Series again. 
Thank you, Howard. We've been friends for a few years now. I always love sitting down and talking with you. I look forward to the next time we see each other. You got it. Listen, stay on the line. Right. Really, we do have to do a quick close, but you and I can have a final got chat, it. okay? All right. Cool. All right. All right, folks. Again, we're going to keep this one short because we 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 can't go. I think we've reached where we wanted to be. We're I'm content with where we're at with David. Yeah, you got to get to know him. He's an outdoor enthusiast, an SAS, very accomplished SAS, and we'll provide backlinks to to his work uh, in our show notes. And like we had just uh, made the commitment to each other, we're going to provide links also if you're interested in visiting the Yucatan and and. Seeking out Ismail if you want to uh, sample what it's like to uh, catch a harpon in, in the uh, the mangroves. As for us, you can find this episode on our website, OutdoorAdventureSeries.com. The beauty of this webpage is we're also going to have some photos, which David is already committed to sharing. Uh, we'll make a couple of collages and perhaps he even has an, an image, a photo with him and Ismail. Uh, that I'm definitely putting them on the spot right now. But again, this is a great website uh, for you to kind of check out the episode, the show notes. Uh, you can leave a comment about the episode. And for all of our uh, places where you can find us, we love likes, sharing, comments, and let us know what you think about the show and about any particular episode. You can find the Outdoor Adventure Series on Insta Instagram. You can find us on uh, Facebook and LinkedIn. YouTube will have the video portion of this interview up on our YouTube channel. And of course, you can find us on all of the podcast directories, whichever one is your directory of choice. Just search for Outdoor Adventure Series. Okay, folks, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, go out there, have a phenomenal day. And we look forward to having you join us on a future episode of the Outdoor Adventure Series podcast. Take care now.